Welcome to Building the Oracle, a podcast about two dudes building a publishing house and film studio from the ground up with nothing more than some off-brand cement and a garden hoe. I'm your host, Jay Swanson. And I'm Richard Bilkey. And today's guest was one of the guests of honor at Confusion over in Novi, Michigan, fantasy and science fiction author Cameron Hurley. This interview was inspired by a conversation with Cameron I had at the hotel bar about the unique challenges to the creative life, especially with regards to actually making enough to support yourself. It seems more timely than ever now, given world events. I asked her if we could transfer that conversation to the pod, and here we are. Yeah, and before we dive into the interview, um, we have to point out that this was actually recorded back at the end of January in 2020, and we are currently, Jay and I, recording the intro and outro in April of 2020, and obviously the world has changed unimaginably in the interim due to the coronavirus. However, I, I really do think the interview is even more relevant now than ever, as it deals with the inherent financial fragility of following a creative career and, and the ways in which authors and publishers can and must find ways to protect their income from unexpected events, like a global pandemic, for example. For example. Also, we wanted to give you a warning here at the top that there are some F-bombs in this episode that we opted to leave in for color and because the bleeping noise got more irritating uh, than it was worth. So be forewarned yeah. that there are some friendly Fs. We knew what we were getting into with Cameron, so... <laughs> yeah, if you if you bring Cameron onto a podcast, you know the F-bombs are going to fly. And before we dive into today's conversation, I do want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Strange Quarks. Because why let the universe be itself when it can be you? All you. With that, let's hear from one of the hardest working authors I know, Cameron Hurley. Welcome to Building the Oracle. I'm your host, Jay Swanson, and today I'm joined by Hugo Award-winning author and all-around model of writing proficiency, Cameron Hurley. Hi, Cameron. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Cameron has been nominated for numerous awards over the last decade and won almost as many across both her fiction and nonfiction work. Her most recent achievement has been the completion of the World Breaker saga with the release of The Broken Heavens, an infamously gory epic fantasy series that has been in the works for over five years. You can and should go out and buy all three immediately, but I'll warn you in advance that they are not for the faint of heart. When she isn't publishing three new books in a single year, Cameron can be found on Patreon where she produces a short story for her most hardcore fans every month. And it's over this level of grind that we made our initial connection. The resulting conversation seemed like a perfect fit for the pod. And so here we are. Cameron, welcome to Building the Oracle. Many of our listeners may think that getting published, I kind of want to jump straight into this because I feel like oh, our, yeah, for our sure. conversation- Again, we had a great conversation, so yeah. Yeah, well, it really revolved around the realities of making it, right? Like of just trying to survive in and around and on an, an art form. And I think a lot of listeners think that getting published means attaining the heights of fame and fortune, right? <laughs> and you've won some of the most prestigious awards in sci-fi and fantasy, well-deserved, and have published, what, like 10 books. Are you rich and irredeemably famous now? Oh, gosh, if only- no, I was telling somebody the other day, again, I'm in the U.S., thank God you're in France, as we discussed, uh, but I, I pay over $800 a month just for health insurance, you know. Um, yeah, so, and, and I have a unique situation, you know, I, I'm the breadwinner, it's me and my husband, we also, he has guardianship with his grandmother, uh, so no, we are not rich people, <laughs> we're not rich people, you know, I think I made it 10 months between day jobs and then finally got a, another day job again because I was specifically waiting for one that offered me remote work and flexibility and that could work with my creative schedule. And that's, that's very difficult to find. But it also just got to the point, you know, even again, uh, you know, with publishing and book checks, a lot of people forget 
you know, they see that you get an advance $20,000, maybe $50,000, right. but you don't get that all at once. And 30% gets taken out. I mean, you've got 15% for your agent, you've got to pay taxes. So those checks, uh, in fact, you know, I'm waiting on eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, $13,000 in checks that I expected November last year. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, and we're still like, oh yeah, it's it's coming. We're just processing. One of them's from China, so God knows when that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's for foreign rights, right? Foreign yeah. rights check. Oh yeah. And I mean, the yeah, other the so, other thing that that uh, about an advance is that it is an advance. So you know, you get that check now, but if your book doesn't earn out that advance, you don't get any more checks from that book. Yeah, so, correct. Yeah. yeah. Which again, uh, you know, I didn't realize this. I think, um, but most people, their books just don't earn out. I mean, they just don't. I think all of mine, but the most recent one. So I think all of mine have earned out except for one at this point. And that one's almost earned out. That'll earn out this year. And that's actually really rare. Yeah. That you actually keep getting checks. One person I know, it took eight years for her book to earn out. So it's like, yeah, you get paid once and then you don't see any money until, you know, it it makes back the money. A lot of people don't appreciate the fact that when you're earning out that far from your release, you're also, your books are hitting the discount bins and like, you're you're having to sell even more books just to make the same amount of money. Yeah. No. And I think, um, and with all of these like book bug promotions and Amazon Kindle daily deals, I mean, I, you know, you work it out, you know, you get 25% of net. So, you know, do the math on a 99 cent deal, right? (laughs) You're not, you're not making bank. I think even on a full price ebook, with my last series, I did the math and I make like a dollar thirty nine per ebook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially off ebooks where the margins are so wide open. It's a matter of time before we at least, you know, we, we get the fifty percent ebook royalty and that becomes standard because people are pushing back at it. Uh, I think you see a lot of best selling authors are able to negotiate that. But for now it's like that twenty five percent is standard and they're just raking it in. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you said you went 10 months between jobs, have you always had a quote-unquote real or day job throughout oh, your yeah, always. writing career? I mean, you have to remember, you know, before Obamacare as well, um, I was uninsurable. I've got pre-existing conditions. My husband uh, had cancer. So we were absolutely uninsurable before that. So we had to have employer-sponsored plan. So I've always had a day job for the last, again, throughout my whole career. It's been ten years, about 10 years, nine years this year, and I've always worked. Yeah. 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 And I'd, I'd actually recommend, uh, I've, in your, your book, The the Geek Feminist Revolution, um, mm. if anyone wants to hear more about that, you talk about that very personally and very powerfully in that book, um, yeah. that experience, and I recommend anyone to go and pick that up and read that book. I think the, uh, there's a lot of questions we want to ask that, that come from both your, you know, having to have a day job as an author, but also that space in between, that 10 months in between we're interested in as well, because I mean, you, you write a lot and persistence is, is one of the key ideas that you've discussed in that book, um, The Geek Feminist Revolution. You really talk about persistence and the evolution of, of what persistence means to you and how important it is to have persistence in your writing career. And you've, you've really proved uh, in how you publish a short story every month while you hold down a day job and, and your personal life, that's that's a huge amount that it, uh, your readers just aren't going to appreciate how much work goes into that. But you're also doing novels at the same time. So, that, you know, this. I want to dig into to what persistence means for you and, and how you balance all of that without completely burning out with a chronic disease on top of that as well. The answer is I've burned out twice. There you go. <laughs> uh, so the answer is you... 
Yeah, you do burn out. It's a horrible experience. You start to, you know, this was actually why this last book took uh, five years. It, it, the last book in the world, I saw. I was writing other books, right, in, in between that. But um, something that happened with that series is, you know, there was a lot of publishing drama. The publisher was sold. They wouldn't pick up contracts for a while. It was a whole disaster. It was a mess. Um, you know, I was I was upset with some other things going on uh, in publishing. And what ended up happening was every time I would open the manuscript, I would get angry at the manuscript because I was putting all of my anger at publishing and the situation and all of that onto the work. And I started to associate that book with everything that I was disappointed with in publishing. And my agent, you know, bless her heart, was like, why don't you just write something else? Uh, why don't we just go work on your military science fiction light brigade? And we'll come back to this when you're ready, because clearly it's not going to get done. And she was right. I had to switch projects to something new. And honestly, I put a lot of my frustration and anger and uh, all of that into uh, Light Brigade and ended up making what I think is one of my best books. And Light Brigade was also a really good example because it made me realize as I was deep in writing it that I really enjoy writing. That's a great <laughs> Like it reminded me. Yeah. Because we forget, um, you know, we're all grinding, right? We're, oh, I got to hustle. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it's just, it becomes exhausting. And we forget that we got into this because we actually love the work. And so doing Light Brigade was a really great exercise for me because it reminded me as I was physically doing the task of writing how much I loved it. And so to me, you know, avoiding burnout certainly is about, you know, pacing yourself. I have a lot of scheduling uh, stuff. Uh, again, Jay, you and I are talking about I have an assistant to do, you know, again, scheduling stuff like this, and she does a lot of admin work for me. And so that picks up some of that back brain stuff that I can't, I can't or won't deal with. And that helps, that helps. So I can concentrate on the writing. And uh, that said, you know, I had writers 10 years ahead of me who called it when I was doing, again, putting out, writing three books in a year. Mm. Said, you're going to burn out. And I'm like, I can't burn out. I can't stop. Uh, well, at some point your body decides for you, right? Your brain just goes, nope, we're not doing this. Or I started having panic attacks. Um, that was like my first thing, like, oh, maybe I need to relax. And it will kind of force you to take the time off if you don't pace yourself and take the time off for yourself. And I, I feel like that's something you also brought up on your the panel because you did a panel on burnout oh, at yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Confusion. And I don't remember if it was you or somebody else, but one of the things that came out of that that seemed to be a truism for everyone on the panel was that most of these authors who you guys have looked up to and admired over the years who did burn out never came back. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of writers who especially did either one book or did a, a completed a series or mostly completed a series and were like, fuck this. <laughs> like, <laughs> they weren't making six figures, let alone seven figures. They started dealing with the realities of the business. They started realizing, you know, we all think, oh, I'm going to get a book published. And then the doors of publishing are open and the world, the sky's the limit. Well, what you need to do then after you write one book is you have to write another book. And then another book and another one. And every year, they like a year, right? You can write however pace you want. But for building a career, about a book a year is, is the recommendation. And that's what publishing would really prefer. The machine, the content machine. So it, once you get into that, you have to realize it's not just about I publish a book and then I'm done. It's like that's a good win. That's wonderful. Hooray. But if you want to build a career, 
understand that you're going to be doing this again and again and again and again until you die (laughs) (laughs) or give up. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that's the way publishers, I I think when people go and and work with, when authors, you know, find themselves at a publishing house, a lot of the stories, you know, there's two sides of the story. One is they love the editor and they have the, the real personal connection with the editor, but then there there is a business side and it's it can be quite exploitative and you can get caught up. Um, publishing is a, a crazy industry and you mentioned before the issues with contracts and, and payments with because, you know, these publishing houses are having trouble as well. They're, they're merging and they're being bought and sold or they're struggling. So you, the author is often the last... Well, is the last person in that line to get paid. Well, and they also don't. I mean, there's no guarantee that... We, we, we talked about this with uh, Natasha Nyan, our second guest, but there's no guarantee that you'll actually get picked up for a second book or yeah. that you maybe you oh, publish yeah, seven absolutely. books and, and you can't sell your eighth for whatever reason. Like, it's it's a... It, yeah. So that's actually a question that I have for you too because to tie this all together with Patreon, you mentioned going for 10 months without a job. You had to rely on Patreon for, for a good chunk of time there, which is doubly impressive to me because when I first started started my Patreon, I did it around a writing project of my own, and I didn't have the same, remotely the same clout or audience that you already have going into it. I'm doubly impressed by the fact that you are able to have a successful Patreon because that is something that, there are some people that that try, launch it, and fall flat on their face, but even more so because you've done so around your writing, which I don't think most people understand just how much work goes into producing the short stories that you do for them on a deadline regularly. And so I was curious to know, because I just respect you deeply for that success specifically. What's your story with Patreon? How did you make that work? And how does that tie into a career that can be so uncertain, that can be so, and even not in a existential sense, but in a financial sense, unrewarding for this sheer volume of work that you're putting into all this? Yeah, Patreon um, basically saved me because I, when I was laid off, it was absolutely unexpected. It was literally that that day health insurance ended, you got your last paycheck, you were out the door. It was, I literally laughed when they did it because I'm just like, I'm so fucked right now. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, I, I remember uh, tweet, and I, was, I think the Patreon <laughs> at that point was almost 3000 a month. It wasn't going to going to do anything. And so, you know, I I shared that with, with people, you know, uh, on Twitter and stuff and thank goodness for my writing network, right? Everybody kind of shared it and banded together. Hey, if you want to support Cameron, you get a short story month, this is all she's going to be doing for a while. (laughs) So please help her. And we got it to 42, about 4,200. And so that was enough that we could just, we could meet our obligations as long as nothing, no emergencies happened. Right. So that was, that was great. I mean, I would love to get that, um, that's one of my goals in the next year or so is to, to move that up to more sustainable living. But, you know, I started out the Patreon and I actually had a minimum. I said, I have to make at least $500 a month or I'm not going to write a fucking short story because it is, it's a lot of work. So that was like my first goal. That was my minimum goal is we have to get to 500. I soft launched it to my newsletter fans and got up to $250 very quickly. So I said, okay, this is probably going to work. And then I launched it again uh, to all my social networks and all of that after that. And we got up pretty quickly. I think we were making $1,200 fairly fast. And then it's just, it's just kind of grown from there over the years. And it really is, again, we know we talked about your daily vlogs. It really is about being consistent. You are getting a short story month plus all these rewards. And it is about hitting that deadline and consistently producing a quality thing, right? 
Um, otherwise they forget about you or, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, even my stuff, it was you pay per thing. But the more they the more they see, right, the more they're reminded. I mean, you're doing your own marketing for yourself. So, yeah. So I think a lot of it, it came down to just being very consistent and very, again, I have schedules of this, this reward is due this day. You need to do the audio story on this day so that I'm not overwhelmed. I used to like do it all at the end of the month. And that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, that's, un, that's so unbelievably stressful. Especially again, when I was doing it 10 months where I had to eat. And yeah. so it's like 10 o'clock and I'm like, fuck, I got to pay the mortgage. It's a lot of yeah. pressure. Oh but, yeah. Well, totally. cause for me, the reason also, because I respect it so much too, because when I was doing uh, my, one of my earlier projects into the Nanton and it was this real time fantasy blog online, my Patreon was basically additional like ephemera. It was content. It was letters from uh-huh different characters you hadn't met yet and like trying to build the mystery and whatever else, which was really, which was really fun. And it sounds great in concept, but even just that, like writing these letters and and taking a step outside of the existing storyline or whatever else, like it destroyed my brain to a degree. And so like to think that you actually write a complete short story every month, I I don't know how you still have a functioning brain, but congratulations. Cause that's, that's (laughs) that's its own win right there. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, one thing I kept in mind while writing it, uh, writing these short stories, is that I can resell them. Yeah. So I resell them as reprints, and then we just had a short story collection come out that is mostly Patreon stories. And then we just sold audio for a second short story collection. We're actually looking for a publisher for the print version right now. There's always that, too, where I remind people it's not even just, hey, I wrote a short story for $4,200 this month, which is amazing, right? No one, yeah. <laughs> no one does that. In fact, my... My thing with um, movie options, when I have people come to me for movie options, I'm like, if I can make more writing a short story month for Patreon than you're offering me in movie option money, it's a pass. Anyway. So it's amazing. But also remember, you can repackage them, right? Um, and in fact, I would love to start doing like one-off, like 99 cents short stories on on Amazon as well. Yeah, we so saw like, that you had one of those up already too. Right? I have a couple. Yeah, I've got a couple, but I'd love to do the whole thing. Probably a task I can give my assistant. But you always have to be thinking about, you know, different ways that you can repurpose what you've already done. So it's not like you're doing this one-off and it, nothing ever happens with it again. You're repurposing it and remixing it and finding a way to monetize it, right? Uh, but monetize it for a much longer life. And I think that helps me too is understand that I'm not just doing this thing once but that it does become part of my creative not just money making machine but my creative oeuvre if you will you know my legacy uh and i think that 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 helps that's very cool before we jump to the break i just i just wanted to come back actually to a question i got after after reading your books Um, so it's a bit of a fan question but you've got sort of an academic background in history that you in alaska and then in oh yeah i didn't realize you lived in durban Oh yeah, I yeah. I lived out in. Uh, do you know Applesbosch? Mm-mm. It's out in. It's up. It's like two hours outside of Durban. But I spent. Oh, I spent wow. a few months in Durbs. Yeah, and so I was oh, like, cool. "What? I had no idea that she was down there." <laughs> Good old Durbs. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, a year and a half. I think I went to the yeah University of KwaZulu Natal right there. So yeah. Yeah, and and while you were there, you were really looking into uh, resistance movements in South Africa, yes. and I'm I'm really interested in how. Because that's something that really comes through in your books. I think it's it's a, a theme, you know, just recently read um, The Stars of Legion and that, that idea of resistance and coming through there. But I'm interested as well how that's affected your career as an author, what you've learnt through learning about, you know, Shaka Zulu's female uh-huh. brigade and things like that. Like, how has that, that 
affected you and helped you in your in your author career? Yeah, I have, you know, I've always been very interested. You know, I grew up in the 80s and there was a lot of, that was, you, know, you saw a lot of unrest both in uh, Central America and a lot of, again, Southern Africa in particular. And because the world was changing, right? That post-war world was changing very quickly. Uh, and you were, de- and it was dealing with, you know, issues of colonialism and, and racism and resistance. And uh, it was a really fascinating time. So I kind of grew up uh, in these things, and my, you know, my my grandparents met in Nazi-occupied France. My grandmother's French, and my grandfather was a GI. So I had that, I had those stories as well, right, from that particular time. I realized, hey, I could go to college and get an English degree and read books I'm going to read anyway, or I could go to where the stories come from, which is history, <laughs> and I could learn all of these real things that have happened and remix those. So it has been profoundly influential, right? to my career. I mean, especially, you know, you look at Light Brigade. Light Brigade, a lot of the stuff from there is either from people I've talked to personally uh, who have been, uh, especially in the wars uh, in Afghanistan, uh, and then also from, um, there's a really great book called Unwomanly Face of War. So a lot of, a lot of those things that we think, wow, you have such a great imagination. Speaking of which, speaking of which, I shared something last night, which was a piece where a body falls from the sky and one of the guy's gonads pops out of his scrotum and, and goes away. Anyway, so it's it's quite it's quite nasty. But he falls and the, it, but otherwise otherwise the body's perfect. And people are like, where the fuck do you come up with that? I said that is a real story. Somebody's body. Fell, I was reading about people's bodies falling and I at first I was like, oh of course it splatters. It does this that. Well they don't. Hmm. Um, a lot of times what will happen is the skin actually keeps everything intact. And so they actually look peaceful. A lot of them look very peaceful, like they were sleeping or something aside from the blood in the head all that. So it's, but that all came from research, from actually looking into actual stories. And one of the stories was, yeah, the body was perfect, except one gonad. Uh, can you hear bringing you back scrotum. specifically to talk about this later? I can see Jay just following that one away for, uh, for something amazing. later. That is amazing. Yeah, you're all real people. It's oh all real. Oh my gosh, we're <laughs> we're adding you to our research team <laughs> immediately. There is no better time to go to an ad break than right now. <laughs> that was amazing. We'll be right back. And while you're listening, of course, we're talking a lot about books and publishing books. And most of the books that we're talking about publishing are going to wind up being science fiction and fantasy within the Oracle of the Dread Gods, the universe in which I've been writing for the last decade. But over the last decade, a lot of other things have happened in my real life as well. And if you want to read about that, as well as get some little tidbits and insights into the writing process behind a lot of my books, then go grab the new book we just released last week, Sea of the Unknown. It's an autobiography. It is by me, about me, which does feel a little bit weird sometimes, but in the end, I'm hearing good things. I'm kind of proud of it. I think it's gonna be a good read. So if you wanna jump on that, go over to jswanson.me and you're gonna see links all over the place for it. That's jswanson.me, J-A-Y-S-W-A-N-S-O-N.me and grab a copy of Sea of the Unknown today. Okay, and we're back. 
Um, now, on the back half of the show, we like to turn the discussion around and beg for some expert advice from our guests on our own publishing project, which is, of course, building a publishing house and film studio around the Oracle of the Dread Gods universe that Jay has been writing in for at least a decade. We have some very big hopes and dreams for the Oracle universe, and there's a huge amount of work ahead of us. But one of the most immediate and persistent challenges we face is surviving financially until the publishing revenues become sustainable, if they ever do. So, um, theoretically, you need a good business plan and a realistic financial projections to succeed in business. But uh, in your book, uh, which I mentioned before, The Geek Feminist Revolution, you talk very personally in, about the financial challenges of being an author and the struggle to sort of literally survive between paychecks, uh, let alone plan ahead. So, we talked a little bit about your situation now, but do you feel like you're in a position to effectively plan ahead financially now? Have you got to that space yet? And... This follow-up question there is, you know, what advice do you have for fledgling sort of indie publishers like ourselves when, when we are trying to plan ahead and say, you know, where are we going to be? How do we plan ahead financially in this space? Uh, I, I am in a place where I can make a reasonable guess. Um, one of the reasons I still have a job is because it is a regular paycheck. One of the reasons I love Patreon is because it is a regular income. Because as I had talked about earlier, you know, you expect $13,000, $20,000, come in at a certain month and it may or may not come on time. It doesn't, even though your, you know, your contract says it should be there at a certain time, that is no guarantee. We actually had a situation where we just realized um, I had a check for $2,500 that was never processed. We all forgot about it. The publisher forgot, I forgot, my agent forgot. And we were just going through statements and we all were like, oh, fuck, we forgot to invoice because we had to invoice this publisher. It's weird. We forgot to invoice them for the 2500 and we all looked at ourselves and like, oh, shit. When you have this many moving parts and pieces, it does become very difficult. I'm lucky in that I have my agent who keeps her own record. I have a record. I use You Need a Budget, that software. Uh, and I can put in say, hey, I believe that this particular money will come in at a certain time, but I'm not sure. And what I like about you need a budget is you are not allowed to actually budget money you don't have. <laughs> mm. Because a lot of times what I would start to do is I'd say, well, I'm due this $5,000, so I'll just buy this thing now. Mm. Never do that. Never. I'm familiar with that mindset and it led yes, me into a lot right? of Yes, right? Oh, yeah. Times. It's going to be here any day. I might as well get a new washer dryer and a new couch. No. Just don't do it. Wait, yeah, I can um, get three more credit cards, you say? Three more credit cards, right? Um, yeah, reduce the number of credit cards. So, uh, so yeah, I, I've gotten better with that, which is mostly don't spend the money before you have it. I'm a little bit better at that. Uh, save the 30% so that you're not worried about taxes and savings. That I need to do, and I'm not as great at. As far as, like, launching your own publishing house, God bless you. Good luck <laughs> and God bless. I was... I was actually just talking to someone else who had, again, they, they worked in like cybersecurity and stuff. And so they had put, stocked away a lot of money. They're like, hey, we're going to go start a publishing house. And he's like, and now we're just kind of watching our savings go down. Well, I guess it's that's a hard a, business. The advantage of starting a publishing house with no money is that, that there's no yeah. savings yeah. to watch drain away. Yeah, there's no, there you go. You know, if you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Well, one of the one of the things that I think has come out already from what you're saying there is is you mentioned Patreon having a stable income that you know that, that comes through or at least it's uh, much more stable than than the the checks from the publisher. So, you know, one thing I'm hearing here is is to diversify and and to have a range of different ways that you're going to get income and make sure some of those are stable and even if they're not huge, they they provide a um, you know a baseline um, that you can count on that that it's not going to you know it's not going to be a roller coaster. Um, absolutely 
Yeah. Uh, and if you see, you see a lot of smaller magazines doing this now, um, Strange Horizon, the Pod Podcastle, and uh, Escape Pod, and all of those. They all have Patreons because it does help give you a certain, you know, regular amount of money that you know you're going to get from supporters. And I do think we're going to see more and more of that model just because it is becoming so difficult to, you know, break break through the noise, basically. And um, the night now, the, here's the nice thing. Okay, I know I'm all doom and gloom. Now, here's the nice thing, and I can say this from my own experience is that the good news is that if it's only, again, one or two people, or in the case of myself, you know, me and, and my family, you can find your niche audience, right? And you can find your true fans. And if you find, again, it's that thousand true fans thing, right? If you can find them and you can cultivate that audience, you can make a living, right? But it, but it's a niche living and it's a niche living by kind of talking to and finding the people who love and passionately support the thing that you do. And you can build that, right? And that's what I've been doing for 10 years. You can build that following and build that um, until eventually they are evangelizing for you. And But I think that if you can find the right people, it can definitely definitely work out. I think that's one of the things that's uh, coming out of... Because for me, my, my Patreon... Uh, switch. This is turning into the Patreon pod. We're going to have to make sure <laughs> to send this to them. Because um, when I switched it over from writing to focused on my vlog and like made a commitment to pump it and to actually, you know, try to grow it, um, th- I think that there was kind of a twofold result from that. One is that it actually grew because, like, if I actually, you know, if you value your own work enough to, uh, ask people to pay for it, it's surprising how many of them turn out to value it as well. But then there's also that element of, for me, I found it much easier to grow around my YouTube uh, experience because I feel like as a medium, it was much easier. So part of the question I have for you is how do you how do you grow and steadily generate? Because I, f- I feel like all the authors that I know that are on Patreon struggle much more than most other mediums do. And then the second part of it is that for me, we're going through this transition where I, uh, you know, I was vlogging daily for over three years and it was great and I loved it and I thought it was so cool and it also almost killed me and so I had to stop before it did kill me and six months later I'm actually starting to feel really good like better than I have in like five years I'm starting to feel amazing and I'm super excited to make more videos but the result was that I saw a pretty significant reduction in uh, my Patreon I was up to about 4,200 bucks and and it you know dropped down and I was kind of found a floor thankfully I found a floor around 3,500 but like other like the side sources revenue everything like there was there's a pretty big cut and I'm not I don't feel terrible about it because I feel I'm excited for what's coming up and what I'm looking forward to is like really hitting it hard but in it we're in similar boats I feel like where you're you have you have room where your Patreon uh, members or your patrons hopefully are with you for the long haul and are there for your transitions and everything else. But at the same time, if your, your entire business is dependent on your production and if you don't, if you don't make something, you're not, at least the, the risk is that you're not going to earn anything. And so it's, it's a business model that's completely dependent on you, especially if you grow uh, your team around that and start building other things. So that was a long way of asking you, <laughs> how does somebody more actively, I guess, like, how, how, how would you feel like you, or how do you feel like you've gotten to the place that you are with your Patreon as a writer? And, and what do you do, or are you thinking about how you protect yourself against uh, the, like, not the inevitable, I don't want to return to the <laughs> doom and gloom that, that harshly, but like, how do you, you know, uh, how do you, how do you protect yourself at the same time? Uh, you know, 
the fear is always, especially during that 10 months, uh, actually isn't that my patrons will go away. It's that Patreon will go away. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is my big fear. And so I have actually, I was looking into Gumroad for a while. Should I diversify with that and make that an income stream? And so people prefer to, you know, use Gumroad as opposed to Patreon. I can do that because it is such a volatile industry. And you look at software companies, they come and they go to lose that, right? When I was relying on it 100% would have been terrible. Yeah. Uh, that said, yeah, I do notice, same with you, if you don't flog it, it's going to go down. You yeah. have to talk about it. I have three scheduled tweets a day where I talk about the Patreon. Whenever I send out my newsletter, I remind folks, hey, here's what the latest stories were on Patreon in case you missed them. Uh, I also uh, cross-post to Instagram. Those are basically my, my biggest um, social channels. And uh, I have to do it. You just, you have to remind people. Otherwise, you're just going to see it go down. I mean, there's, there's a natural churn um, with Patreon. As far as, like, other writers and stuff, um, you know, doing work on Patreon, I think the two that immediately come to mind who are very, actually very successful are, like me, traditionally published authors who are bringing a traditionally published audience to Patreon and building it from there. And that's N.K. Jemison. And Shauna McGuire, who's killing it, she's making like 11 grand a month. Um, she has an amazing ability to cultivate her fandom. People go wild over it. And some of that is, again, she also produces an amazing amount of work, books. She writes way more books uh, than I do. Uh, and then does a short story again every month for her Patreon. And I think it really is, you know, it's, it's, it's preparing for the future, understanding that like any job or anything else, nothing is certain. Putting away money into savings. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's not going to last forever. And I don't know that there's any way to plan for that except to acknowledge that that's a fact um, and to find other ways to diversify. As again, I have an Etsy store as well. Um, other ways to diversify that income because my, yeah, my biggest thing isn't about losing fans. I think once you really cultivate, you have to really fuck up, right? When you mm. have cultivated a, a group of people over this amount of time, you got to really say or do something pretty nasty uh, to, to lose them. My hope is, uh, again, putting money into savings, understanding it's not going to last forever, always working to diversify income. I've got two film agents now. I'm like, come on, something has got to hit, you know, um, always be, and that was the thing, um, I think it was, Daniel Abraham talks about this a lot, like he's one half of James S.A. Corey, The Expanse Guys, and he's like, you know, publishing is a casino, right, so the more, and the more, you know, things that you're putting out there, the more lottery tickets you have, basically, so the more books, again, like the podcasts, books, videos, the more you diversify, the more chances are that one of those things is going to hit, right? And that's all you can hope for. And it is. It's, a, it's absolutely a gamble. We're all taking a risk. That said, I would much rather be taking a risk doing something that I own and that I love than taking a risk with a company who, again, literally can just decide, oh, you're laid off today. Here's your last paycheck. See you later, oh you gosh. know? I much prefer to feel like I have some amount of control than absolutely no control, right, in a at-will work state. So the answer is there's no answer. It's yeah. it's ah. it's all going to change. It's all going to go away. <laughs> we hope you've all enjoyed tuning in to this episode of Building Yeah, Yorker, so anyway, there's no answer. The answer yeah. is, there is, there is well, I mean, there, there is an answer. Everyone there. wants it's, the it's, quick it's, hack, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants I mean, the, the quick hack, is, and I'm right. like...
it, you know, it's, it's grand. Yeah. It, it you know you you are producing content, and that's your job. That's that's what you've chosen to do is to, and is to create content and put it out there. And but I think more and more it's it's being nimble and being you know and thinking about in every way. It's not just in terms of you know having Patreon and having Etsy and things like that, but it's also looking at your content. You mentioned repackaging as well, and yeah. and looking at different ways for you to to take your content out there and which ways work for, you know, because you can find new audiences by simply changing, um, changing the format of a story into, um, you know, mm-hmm. into audio or yeah. You know, well, the, you're right. And it is it, the lottery tickets. The way that I've always looked at it too, is that I'm crafting my own lottery ticket yeah. and there's a quality level and a, to, to those lottery tickets where some people sit on their couch and dream of being on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what American Idol, you know, and like maybe they actually go stand in line and that's one thing. And then there's like the actual like going out and making an album and having something to show and, you know, that hustle. Yeah. And there's there's not there's no control over the end result for either of those people. But the person that's going and putting in the, that level of work to actually produce something and try to get it made instead of just putting their hands completely or their fate completely in the hands of somebody else is wildly different. And so I think that's one of the things that we really appreciate about your approach to your career is that it is definitely a struggle. There's so much uncertainty and it's so difficult, but you're producing more and better lottery tickets every year. And you're, you know, putting a number of our contemporaries to shame with your, how, just how outrageously prolific you are that you've got like books waiting for other, you know, like you were telling me about how you couldn't finish the world breaker saga basically because you already had like other projects rolling in between. And yeah. And I think that you, you deserve a lot of kudos for no other reason than for your, your work ethic and the dedication that you have to it. And I really hope that you managed to keep from burning out and keep going. Hope springs eternal. (laughs) (laughs) For all of us. Absolutely. Well, Cameron, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and uh, we can't wait to check in with you again in the future and just see, especially, I mean, honestly, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to the red carpet interviews when uh, your movies start dropping. (laughs) Well, as we mentioned in the intro, the interview was recorded a few months ago before the coronavirus upended the world and brought everything to the crashing halt that it has, which it was both you know, unforeseen, even though an epidemic like this was one of the most predictable crises we could walk into. It's obviously just beyond our imagination and comprehension to think that we are where we are today, to have guessed that we would even end up there. And a lot of this conversation centered around, you know, financial stability and trying to figure out a way of making it as a creative. And for me personally, this is this hits home pretty harsh pretty hard because the last time we went into a major recession I was in a very vulnerable place and at the beginning of my hopeful creative career and it sidelined me for a long time and we know that there are a lot of people out there today and possibly for the foreseeable future whoever's listening to this in the near future uh, that there are some people listening to this that are in for a really hard time and we don't know how hard of a time we're in for um and so we wanted to take a step back and, and talk about that a little bit while trying to be sensitive to the fact that um, different people are going to be at different places when listening to this. And we'd really like to try to do our best to offer some encouragement and maybe some ideas as to how to enter into this time while also recognizing that we have no idea what's going on and we don't know what the future is going to look like. We don't know if we're ever going to be allowed to be zoo again after this, let alone hug or handshake with people. So um 
we're we're walking into it with you know our arms and our hands wide open to uh, try to be humble and uh, and honest with that, but also recognizing that we've been through things like this before as a species. We've been through some similar but slighter things personally um, in our past, and um, yeah, we just wanted to take a moment to kind of to dig into it a little bit as best we can. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that you've been through something like this before um, personally yourself, and. Uh, obviously, you, we mentioned in the ad break that we just released The Sea of the Unknown, your your memoir, and, and having worked on that with you over the past several months and also coming back to this interview with Cameron and, and hearing it back and also having read Cameron's book, uh, I was really struck actually by a lot of the similarities between both of your journeys. Um, you've both been sidelined by uh, financial troubles, um, medical debts. Um, also, uh, you've had burnouts in your past as well, um, trying to you know, pursue your dream and, and also keep yourself afloat in, in real life. So yeah, that, that really struck me that, that you have both been through this. And, and as I said, listening back to Cameron's interview at this moment now, it, it really did strike me how uh, not prescient, but um, you know, her experience, I think, is something that so many people now uh, are going through and you know she'd lost her job before and, and obviously the unemployment figures at the moment are, are very scary and uh, she's battled chronic illness and, and I'm not sure we mentioned in this episode but in a book she definitely talks about an experience where she almost bled out on a, on a hospital table uh, so she's faced very severe life threatening consequences as well so you know, it, it said that that's really got me thinking a lot, and I thought maybe it's a good time now, especially since your 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 books just come out, maybe to talk about how your experiences in the past have helped you in this moment. Like uh, I know I've talked to you separately, and uh, we we've talked to um, other people, and I've heard you say that you feel a little bit more resilient now. Um, that looking back and doing your memoir, you've realised all these things that happened in the past to you and how they have made you stronger now and maybe put you in a, in, a, in a better frame now to go through things. So I just wanted to quiz you on that and really say, what, what do you mean by that? Like, how, how, what lessons have you taken and, and how, have you, how do you feel now going to this that's different to how you may have 10 years ago? Yeah, well, I think that obviously things are different now because there's the risk that people that we care about could, you know, get sick and die. So I think that that, that ups the stakes significantly, yeah. but... When in the past, I've, you know, going through the recession and and being put out, like losing my job and bouncing between temp jobs and really struggling to build a business. And I mean, it was the worst time to try and start a business, especially when I really didn't know what I was doing. There was no grace. There was no like, you know, real leeway for me there. So it was just getting thrown to the sharks. And uh, I, I think when talking about like resilience, I just think in going back and rereading all of this, writing it obviously over the last you know couple of years, but then rereading it, editing it, going through edits with you, going through edits with Richard number two and all that, I think that um, it it's really was beneficial to me for one, because I really came to appreciate all of the struggle that I did go through and came to really love myself in a way that was surprising. Um and what it also gave me was a sense of confidence going forward that I could trust myself and rely on myself to stick stick with it, I guess. Like, I don't know how bad things are going to get. And maybe things do take some dramatic downward turn that we haven't seen coming yet. But assuming that I don't get killed by it um, and that I'm not, you know, completely debilitated by it one way or another, I will get through it. 
one way or another. And I guess that's it's kind of like boot camp, you know, the whole idea of sending soldiers to boot camp and putting them through rigorous training, um, you know, isn't just to mess with them. It's to show them that their limits, what they think are their limits, aren't their limits and to push them beyond what they would ever be pushed on their own and push them to the edge and to show them what it looks like to look over that edge and to get them familiar with that and comfortable with that so that when they find themselves in dark and dire circumstances, it doesn't make those circumstances any better, but it helps them to know that they can trust and rely on themselves. It gives them a baseline to operate from and they're able to do things that the average person may not be able to just because they've never experienced anything like it. So that that is kind of how I see it. I feel like I've already gone through a form of boot camp in that way, which helps me personally. But for other people that maybe haven't or don't feel that way or are, are definitely, there are a lot of people that are feeling very overwhelmed, very anxious by these circumstances. Um, and I can definitely understand that. I think that you know, like looking back at my experience, not only I think that that well, I think anybody listening to this is going to be able to get through this. I, I, I think that it's going to suck for all of us. And I, I, I think we're all out in the same battlefield right now. And some of us are feeling a little bit more comfortable sleeping in the mud than others. But I think that to, to keep with the crude analogy, but I think that a lot of people, I hope that people can can glean some some hope from the past and, and some uh, a sense of assurance that we are going to make it through this and we don't know what it's going to look like and if life is even going to be the same or better coming out of it maybe things really take a hit maybe we take a couple steps backward but we can adjust and we are adaptable as humans we're incredibly adaptable um, to any circumstance and so we're going to figure this out and we're going to make it through it so that's what i guess looking back kind of gives me is just this this sense that not only am i resilient but we as a species, are insanely resilient. Yeah, I, I don't want anyone to think that we're we're saying, "Oh, look, this is a, a great you know this is a great opportunity for us all to toughen up" or anything like that. That's not what this is <laughs> no. about at all. Um, you know, but it, it is a good opportunity. Well, I mean, it's not a good opportunity, but it, it it's it's a moment where we have to. Uh, I think you know, you and I, Jay, yeah, um, talk about you know what does this you know uh, in this situation? What are we? You know what are our plans going forward? How how are we going to stress proof uh, this enterprise going forward? And uh, and and it's a conversation I think everyone who has a small business or a creative dream will be having. Um, you know where yeah. do you go from here? Now some businesses by their very nature are going to be uh, more effective than others, but uh, and even on on you know our business, you know there are two sides of the business here that one is more effective than the other. But you know I think listening to Cameron's experience uh, a lot of it from her side of things was to one she just she kept grinding um, she kept working very very hard she uh, she never she didn't take that you know backward step she never um, accepted defeat there and, and she kept grinding and that's where I see a similarity with you is your perseverance and and ability to uh, certain times where you were working extremely hard and and uh, in, in secondary or even tertiary jobs, um, you kept going with your creative pursuit and you kept making it happen. You kept getting better at it um, despite the, the situation you're in. Um, and that's something I admire you for a lot and something, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm you know, very glad to be tied to you because I, I, I feel confident working alongside you through this that, that, uh, that you're going to come out the other side and, and keep, on, keep on going. The other thing I think that, that, you know, Cameron talked about a lot that 
is is really worth considering is is she talked a lot about you know we, we had there's quite a long conversation about Patreon uh, and about diversifying the you know the the, the ways you have income coming in uh, having different income streams and and Patreon was essential to that one uh, and I wanted to talk about that again in in the sort of context of community and fan base and and I just wanted to reach out I think as well to to our fan base a little bit and say how appreciative we are as well because that's been a, a great source already through this uh, this time. Um, but yeah, I'd like, I'd like to kind of talk briefly here. Maybe there are some practical things that we can talk about here about what we can do uh, moving forward. So Jay, what, you know, what are some practical things that you think that we need to, to consider um, to move forward from this point now? Well, I think that anybody that's in, I mean, this is it's just a crazy and unprecedented time, right? So any advice needs to come with enough salt to make a salt lick, probably. But I, at least me personally, the ways that I've approached this kind of come in two different steps. One is short term, like, what do we do to survive this? Because I think everybody does need to think in terms of survival um, to some degree or another. And then long term, what do we learn from this? How do we pivot? How do we come out of this? Um, even if we're weakened, even if we take some hits, how do we come out of this better prepared and strengthened for the future? So the short-term stuff, I think really the first thing, at least for me personally, is to make sure to take care of the people who work with and for you, um, to make sure that everybody is taken care of. I, I, I think I've seen, I have seen a lot of really encouraging stories of this people, uh, businesses, whatever, making sure to take care of their employees first. And at the same time, other stories of that, not being the case. And for me personally, I think that especially if you're planning to do something long-term, you're planning to keep people around, the first and most important thing is the people that you have with you. Those relationships, I, people are the most important thing. So the people around you, I think, are the ones you need to make sure to take of, care of first to the best of your ability. I don't think that you, you know, you don't want to stay up at night killing yourself over the fact that you couldn't do something that was impossible, but take care of the people around you. Uh, the second thing would be to cut costs where you can. So little things like I've, I've cut out a lot of little subscriptions. We're trying to um, sell off all of our sticker stock as fast as possible so I can get rid of that online store and all the associated costs. You know, uh, there's some side, there's some immediate, uh, obviously the, we're really lucky that we got out of the office when we did and that we're not paying that rent. Um, but any any costs that you can cut, any ways that you can down downsize your operation without harming the people that you're working with, um, I think is really, really important. And then uh, beyond that, reaching out and seeing what you can do to help your clients, whoever they are, in whatever way you can. So I think, you know, I was talking with a friend um, who will remain uh, nameless because I didn't get uh, permission to share this story, but I was talking with a friend who um, does some PR basically. And they were really worried that if they tried to grow their business right now, that if they reached out to other businesses, it would look and feel kind of slimy because they were like, well, I, I can help them navigate this. Like I, I see people making some massive mistakes. I know that I could reach out and help them figure out a way to better communicate, to, you know, do their, do what they're doing better and, and really serve their, their clients while also, you know, improving their odds of surviving themselves but it feels opportunistic for me to reach out and say that. And my response was, well, then find a way of of making sure that they know that you're doing it to help them. Even if that is like, you know that they're hurting, you know that they're struggling and you, you would like to offer some of your services for free, but you're worried that that'll come across as slimy, then just set some really clear boundaries to it. Just say, hey, I really love your product. 
or your service, whatever it is, I really want to help you uh, to survive this and to do better and to save jobs. Really, I mean, when you think about it, if these companies go under, people are going to lose their jobs. And I want to offer my services to you for the next month for free. I'm going to give you, you know, five hours of my week or eight hours, whatever it is every week for free to try and help you for the next month. And we can reassess at the end of that month to see where we go from there. But I I really just want to make sure that you survive this. And so approaching it in a way where you can reach out to your people, you know, whoever they are, um, and offer them something and be generous. And with no expectation, of course, like maybe that month comes and goes and they don't become a client of yours, or maybe they lose their business, whatever it is. But at least you were able to reach out and, and build and strengthen that relationship. And I think we're in a place right now where turning to each other and being generous in whatever ways we can, whether, you know, assuming that you can afford to and you're not going to go under as well, because yep. I always think that, I mean, you can't you can't pull someone into a lifeboat if you're in the water with them drowning. So you need to make sure that you're in the lifeboat first and pulling people in with you. But, you know, there are ways to do it and ways to really reach out and take care of your clientele as well. So I think that really it comes down to taking care of the people around you taking care of your clientele and then just trying to do everything as, um, as, uh, cheaply as you can right now and, uh, and, and saving what you can. Yeah. And um, we're not all medical professionals, but we do have skills that, um, you know, we've, we've got to get on with our lives. It's not just the medical side of our lives that we've got to look after at the moment. It, it is also, um, you know, people are still trying to turn the wheels over. So if, if, if the skills we have can help, um, then absolutely. And going back to the also the looking after the people around you as well. I mean that that's not just uh, for bosses uh, looking down. That you know, for me, you know, I, I'm conscious that that you are. I sort of you're you're working away uh, a lot, and you know, I need to check in on you and make sure that you're not, uh, you know, overdoing it or or you know, burning out or going crazy there as well. It's you know, it's reaching out in every direction. Um, it's checking in on people. Um, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Time. If you're if you're an employee, you can also think in terms of I mean, if you want to keep your job in the long term, <laughs> it could be helpful to take a moment, stop and think, what could I do on top right now that would help keep us afloat? Um, and I think it's just I think we should always be generous in everything we do anyways, as best we can within reason again. But this is a time right now for sure where those kinds of things will go even farther yeah. and I think do a lot more good. And then in the long term. One of the things, I mean, that I learned through the, you know, recession and volunteering with Mercy Ships and all this was that if you have a single point of failure, um, you're at extreme risk. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about and diversifying um, the ways that we reach people, diversifying the ways that we make money, um, diversifying everything that we can because it just makes everything stronger. Um and one of the one of the things I would encourage, this is long-term advice because there's no real way to do this in the short term, but is to find those ways of really trying to broaden that base, whatever it is that you do, because if you can do that and build on it slowly over time, it may take you a year or two, but you'll get to a place where it also means that like you can have a huge chunk of that base taken out and whatever you built on top of it won't even wobble because the foundation is so good. And so... With me, that means Patreon is something that is keeping me afloat through all of this. And I'm so grateful to my patrons. They have made a huge difference in my life to date. And right now they're making a vital difference because with them, um, you know, my, my income is democratized across almost 500 people. So any one person decides to pull their support or whatever, 
um, you know, like it's okay. Whereas if you have like one big client and that's all you have, um, and that's what happened to me when I was doing all these temporary jobs back in the recession, um, you know, you're at a much greater risk. And so this is the reason that I package this in the long term after talking about short term stuff is because this isn't a quick fix. This isn't a huge, you know, and I, hopefully nobody wants to slap me for bringing this up at all. But just I would love to encourage when you have the time and the space, maybe that doesn't happen for another few weeks, you might be just putting out fires for the foreseeable future. But when the time comes where you have a little bit of downtime and some space to start thinking, how do I broaden everything that I'm trying to do, at least to some degree, I think that that's a, a mentality that really, really can serve almost anyone well uh, in the long term. And it may take some creativity. And, it, and for a lot of jobs, it may not be remotely obvious what to do. Um, but starting that brain teaser now and thinking through how could you make it work uh, down the line, I think can be a lifesaver. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of publishers and, and independent authors out there who, uh, you know, they're completely reliant on Amazon, for example, yeah. um, for their, you yeah. know, all their revenue or, you know, 90 plus percent of the revenue comes through Amazon. So, you know, if Amazon changes their terms and conditions or, or charges higher fees or something like that, they're, yeah, they're, they're, all their eggs are in that basket and it, it can be disastrous. So, we, you know, saying diversify, it's not as easy as that's easier said than done to do that. Um, because yeah, obviously... Exactly. Every time you, you you come up with a new channel to try and sell something or you know a new path out there, you there's a lot of work involved in that, and often it means repackaging content or creating new content or you know doing things differently. So it, it's certainly not something to you're right. It's a long term strategy, and it's something that requires a lot of thought uh, and a lot of effort to do. But the rewards are definitely. Um, uh, I mean, I think this this moment uh, is uh, you know shows that it highlights that. Yeah. You know, having, you know, we're so glad that, that you took the time to build the Patreon um, and that, 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 that was set in place when that might not have been something that, you know, a lot of people might not have done that because it's just too much work to just do the videos and hope that YouTube content, uh, YouTube uh, provided the revenue stream. So, yeah, that work you do now um, could be the vital thing that, that saves you next time. So yeah, that's a very the good almighty ad sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would. I guess I'll leave with. I'll leave it on this. This note. I was listening to a podcast talking about the science behind happiness, and one of the things that I Sam Harris really read. What's that? Sam Harris is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to. I, I. I. don't. I need to pay for. I need to pay for it so I can listen. He's to the all whole free thing, at the moment. Actually, was once really again another it. example of that one wasn't. Oh, that one wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but he has been putting out some for free. Yeah. But the um, the the thing that really resonated with me that's also true that I'm finding true in my own life right now because I'm trying to practice this, and this feeds back into my original three points that are the short term points is that you know a lot of happiness comes from being more concerned with other people's happiness than your own and reaching out and trying to do what you can for other people, um, and you find that that in turn makes you happier on a deeper level, and we've known this. As humans forever um and i'm i i won't list off the ways that i'm doing that right now because i don't want to start sounding like i'm preaching but i have definitely no i'm so enjoying the projects that i'm doing right now that are just for one person and that will never see the light of day and that are just really to encourage or to support someone and um and i and that's an area that i want to broaden what I'm doing right now as well. And again, if you're in a place where you're not feeling like you have anything left to give, where you're working really hard, you're burning out, you might be working in the medical field right now, or in a grocery store or in a restaurant or somewhere where 
you really are risking your life to keep food on your own table right now. Um, that don't uh, do that first survive first i think the most important thing is to make sure you're surviving first um and and please don't feel remotely guilty or anything negative if you're not in a place where you can give i know what that's like i've been there i've spent years of my life there not being able to give anything more than i already was um but for anybody that is in a place where they're feeling like there's just got to be something they can do they wish that they could go beyond the front lines or they wish that they could do something or anything. I would, I would just encourage you to be thinking in terms of like, okay, well, what is this, something even small that I can do to brighten someone else's day? And I think that that's also a really good way to start giving yourself a sense of stability and security in just an emotional sense that, you know, things might turn out okay. And I think that's, uh, I don't know, I think that's a good spot to leave it. What do you think, I think Richard? it is, yeah, too. Although I know you said that you, you don't want to talk about uh, the things you're doing, but I, I will mention one. Um, we mentioned that you released uh, The Sea of the Unknown, the ebook last week. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you did, uh, you've made that available for free. If people need, uh, if, if people are at the moment financially, uh, just can't fathom uh, spending uh, some money on an ebook at the moment, or or they just, they, they yeah, if people need it, um, Jay has actually created a 100% off uh, discount voucher for it. So I'll put that in the liner notes of this episode. Yeah. Uh, if you want to read The Sea of the Unknown, but, but it's just beyond you to be able to pay for it at the moment, then um, then that's fine. We've got you covered um, for the next month. So that's just one way uh, that you know Jay's obviously decided here's something I can do and, and hope that, that that helps in some small way. So uh, there's one thing you're doing. And I really hope it does help in some small way at least. Okay. All Thanks right. Well, listening. we'll see you guys. We'll see you guys back here and in thanks. two weeks, Richard. I, I miss hanging out with you in real life. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been strange. Um, uh, I think the the one who's suffering the most is Gustav. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he's patrolling the windows far more regularly than normal at the moment. Well, at least you know your windows are safe. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yes. Hopefully, soon one day we'll uh, we'll get back and uh, and be able to do this podcasting again from uh, uh, across the table from each other. But uh, I'd like Love to thank it. Cameron again. Um, no, it was a few months ago, but thank you, Cameron, for the interview. Really glad that we, we had that talk with her. Me too. Today's podcast was made possible by our magnanimous patrons, whose contributions directly impact our work here as well as the future of the project. They are the best. Our super patrons, as of this recording, being Kevin... Karen Bates, Mystery Man, Susan French, Dixie Rose, David Guy, Figure 7-3, Steve, Jane Baker, Timeless Founder Capital, and Mr. and Mrs. DJ Poser. Thank you all. Building the Oracle is mixed and produced by Zach Egan, co-hosted by Richard Bilkey, mascotted proudly by his four-legged friend Gustav, and is written and hosted by yours truly. Our theme music is Glory, and our ad music is Light, both by David Cutter, who you can also find and support directly on Patreon, and we highly suggest you do that. And our newsletter is assembled with love by our own Kate Weber. Don't forget you can support us at patreon.com slash dreadgods whenever that itch grows too strong to resist. Don't forget to rate and review Building the Oracle on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, or Gustav will push your toilet paper stash into the bathtub. My name is Jay Swanson, and thank you again for listening. Tune back in in two weeks for our next guests, a world-building trio consisting of Mike Underwood, Adam Rakunis, and Pat Tomlinson. Until then, keep making rad shit. <laughs>